Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Administrative Static, and Mark and I are going to discuss um, a little bit about the Shangizi case, but also new evidence, um, what you do with it, and, and, and you know, one of the things that happens in a, in a case is you always know more about it at the end of the case than you did at the beginning of the case, um, and some of that is just uh, you have more time with it, but sometimes new facts happen, particularly when you sue the government. Because although the government moves slowly, it does move and things come out and other people find out. Now, if you if you recall, the Shangizi case was we had we had on behalf of three plaintiffs sued the Department of Health and Human Services and a number of other uh, defendants about the Surgeon General and the Surgeon General uh, uh, censoring people's discussions about uh, COVID and the vaccines. And we had uh, plaintiffs who would. On Facebook, on Twitter, Facebook, Twitter all of these places, platforms. we alleged that that was not Twitter's decision or Facebook's decision. That was because the government was coming down on them. And we we filed our complaint back in April. And we moved for a preliminary injunction and the judge had a hearing and we all this was in the Southern District of Ohio. And he he had the hearing and then he came out with his decision on preliminary. He said no preliminary injunction because I you haven't shown your case. And then he had a hearing. Um, basically, uh, on the on the government's motion to dismiss as well, and he dismissed the case. And he said, "Well, you haven't alleged enough connection between the government action uh, and what the uh, social media is doing." I'll, I, I'm boiling it down. It's a long opinion. You can go look at it, but I'm boiling it down. Well, now we're deciding. You can read that on NCLA's website at nclalegal.org. There you go. <laughs> and so, and, and it's Chengizi, Department of Health and Human Services. And, and the fact is, is that then the case is dismissed. So we're deciding whether to appeal. Um, and then uh, around June 7th, um, all of this new information comes out. You remember the, there was the, um, the government had created a disinformation governance board, DGB, under uh, Department of Homeland Security. And uh, that, although we, we'd mentioned it, we didn't know all that they were doing because it was all secretive. Well, in another case, some- We had uh, our suspicions. We had our suspicions, <laughs> but we, but the, the um, so what happened was we got new information came out. So what do you do? Do you just leave it? Do you appeal? What do you do? So we did everything. We appealed to the Sixth Circuit and then we also made uh, well, we moved to amend the complaint in the district court. And the district court said, ah, you got to make a Rule 60B motion, basically. You, you have to say you have new evidence, and it's more than 28 days, so make that motion. But we did everything at, 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 by, the book. At, by the book. We did everything uh, at the same time. And it's kind of interesting. I want to talk about new evidence and how that works, because you, the court can, the, the district courts, I'll boil it down, because Usually when you file an appeal, the district court is divested of jurisdiction. They're not allowed to do anything. But under 
Rule 60 baby sanctions or something right, like exactly. that. Right, exactly. Mostly. Mostly, mostly everything substantive is gone. But under 60B, the district court can look at it. And, and I, there's disputes, I think, between whether they can grant the motion or dismiss mo or whether they just indicate what they're going to do. I won't go into that, but I will talk about how new evidence in, in, these, uh, in this disinformation area and whether the, this question that has really come up in a lot of our cases on social media and on the First Amendment and what the administrative agencies are doing is, well, are these companies private actors doing stuff on their own for no reason? Or are they really arms of the government? And under the case law, what you're showing is, is that they're acting in concert with or at the behest of the, the administrative agency. And so um, a, a, a lot of information started coming out. And um, there was a declassified memorandum. And so the, the, I'll call it the DGB, the Disinformation Government Board, which sounds like something from Orwell. I, I, you know, it's no, who names these things? I, who was sitting in a room and said, I know what we'll do that will generate trust in the federal government. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, that's what they did. Rhymes with KGB. Exactly. It'll be no problem with that. Uh, the people on, the people who use social media the most don't remember the KGB. Anyway. <laughs> For last week, uh, so uh, Biden's, so this memorandum gets uh, declassified uh, and President Biden's executive agencies have been meeting with social media companies and using them to further their aim of silencing those spreading quote unquote misinformation. And oh, by the way, our clients aren't sending out disinformation. They're sending out factual information the government doesn't like. The one I love, the one I love that gets you thrown off social media because I did pharmaceutical law for a long time is every FDA approved drug in this country has a list of the known side effects, things that might happen to you on this drug. And that's why when you watch commercials and Saturday Night Live makes fun of it, they have whatever the drug is. And then they say to call your doctor. And then at the end, it says, oh, and you may bleed from the gums and your head may explode and all that stuff. Well, that's there for a reason. It's there because you have to do that because it's a true fact that the FDA makes you put on there so that people aren't misled about the side effects and they can make their own health decisions. It's a good thing. And, right. And yet, because, because these drugs are not unambiguously positive for every person no. who takes and, them. And I, we always say in the drug, there is no drug without a side effect. None. Some part of the population will get some side effect. They're usually mild. That's why you have this thing on the bottle that says usually, you know, cold symptoms or something like but that. But sometimes the side effect actually ends up becoming an effect, right? So right. one of the treatments is for, for baldness is a drug that, that, right. that they discovered the side effect was that it made your hair grow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was, a used for, it was a drug for something else at yeah. the same time. So I mean, what is this drug, Mark? I think I better look into that. But anyway, so, so what happens is... Um, so all of this is true stuff. The government makes you put on it. But if you go on Twitter and you print and you put the label, you say, listen, if you have any of these things, be aware of these side effects. And you put the, on the label of the vaccines, they call it disinformation and knock it off. It's, it's incredible. So uh, why are they doing this? And it, it, we, President Biden's executive agency have been meeting with social media to do this. These documents establish that DHS officials met in secret with Twitter, why meet in secret? Why? If this is disinformation, go out and say it. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that uh, error can error 
can be uh, left unimpeded as long as truth is there to combat it. Maybe getting it slightly wrong, but it's a very old expression in American law. And you don't meet in secret to tell people what the truth is. You shout it from the rooftops, right? So Twitter executives to coordinate online censorship of perspectives such as those offered by plaintiffs. Um, they have to decide what the truth is first, John. And uh, exactly. Then, then they can, then the, the declassified <laughs> documents show that DHS considered disinformation relating to the origins and effects of COVID-19 vaccines or the efficacy of masks, a serious homeland security risk. Uh, we didn't know that when we filed it. So we, we've asked to, you know, put in new stuff. And we couldn't know exactly what the what DGB was up to. And um, and it went right to the heart of our other contentions we've made. And so um, we've put in an, uh, all of this new information and we're asking the court to take a look at it. And we've also added people because the court said, well, I think you really got to sue President Biden and, and the DHS and all these other groups if, if that's the case. And that sometimes happened. With the federal government, it's often hard to know who's doing what when you first get into a case. So you add them. It happens all the time in all this type of litigation. Um, Sometimes you add a Jane Doe or John Doe. Yeah, exactly. As a plaintiff, because you don't know exactly who's been hurt. Or, or even as a defendant, right? You can oh, have... that's true. Yeah. That is true. Um, so we read the opinion and we added some defendants, including the president, including uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas in his official capacity, uh, and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And we think that that might have changed the judge's decision. So we want to um, take a look at it again. And, and it was all things that we couldn't really know. You know, maybe we had a suspicion, maybe we could have done- Newly discovered evidence. Yeah, newly discovered evidence. So this is the sort of thing whereby you have to make a decision and we've made the decision to both appeal and to move for, um, for reopening the case and just going forward in the, in the district court as well. And we'll see what happens, but it is interesting in this area of both social media and vaccines, because things move so fast, new evidence comes out quite a bit. And the one thing I, I, I know that uh, the New England Journal of Medicine has just come out with something that we've been saying for a while. But I, I before I ask, over a year before I ask you about that, Mark, I, I do want to point out that um, in another one of our case, our Michigan case, the judge in that case said, you know, this this vaccine mandate that Michigan put in. A year and a half ago. I don't think it was arbitrary and capricious a year and a half ago, but I think if they tried to do it now, it would be. But I'm judging on the past. That was an interesting uh, case. And I think erroneous, but... By, true, but it's interesting that he said that, yeah. that, that he, he noticed the change in right. science, right. Which, which was nice to hear because we don't hear it from the government much. But the thing that's odd about that is so that if somebody didn't sue a year and a half ago, but sued today on the exact the same defendant on the exact same facts, they would get a different result than the person who sued earlier. That can't be right. Nope. That I agree with you. Right. I agree with you. But it is it is an interesting point. Um, and and judgment. And that's obvious. So. But we'll, we'll see. But tell us about the New England Journal of Medicine evidence. Yeah. So uh, I think it's been widely reported now for maybe the last few weeks that the New England Journal of Medicine has, has now published an article uh, showing that natural immunity is as effective as the vaccine. And that's something we've been shouting from the rooftops here in, in our litigation at NCLA for the last year. And it's nice to see some of the mainstream media uh, start to uh, start to second that idea. 
And maybe this is the kind of thing, John, that'll get the judge's attention. Maybe they'll be more willing to listen to the New England Journal of Medicine sources that we were trying, even though our sources have been vindicated. And John Vecchioni, back with you on Administrative Static. Uh, we started off this uh, today, John, talking about a Chevron a little bit uh, in our bump stock cases. And there was a, a we had one of our, our lunch and law episodes this past week at NCLA where our colleague Richard Samp discussed uh, a couple of the or a few of the pending cases at the Supreme Court that uh, that had Chevron implications and that were not decided at the end of the term. And this is unusual. Usually at the end of every Supreme Court term, they do a little bit of cleanup at the end of June or early July at the latest. And they will, uh, sometimes they'll, they'll grant and, and sort of grant vacate and remand something in light of, of another decision that was handed down uh, in June. Uh, but more often they'll just put out a long list of cases where cert has been denied. And they did do that. They, you know, they did deny cert in a whole bunch of cases at the end of the term. Uh, but there were several cases that they didn't do either thing. They didn't do anything with them. They just kicked them down the road again further, including uh, we were talking about our apotion case. And I mentioned the gun owners a case. Uh, so one of our bump stock cases and, and a bump stock case that someone else brought in the Sixth Circuit were both left hanging at the end of, of the Supreme Court a term. And that's unusual. The, the issues in those two cases are this, roughly the same set of issues, pretty close. And these are uh, Chevron, should Chevron. Uh, and, and then there's one other case that we had left pending, which is also a Chevron case called Buffington v. McDonough, which is a veterans benefits case. We've talked about it on the show before. And uh, if, to boil it down, oversimplify a little bit, Buffington involves whether or not the pro-veteran canon of interpretation, the substantive canon that says that you interpret ambiguities in veterans benefits cases in favor of granting benefits to the veteran, that that would take precedence over uh, over Chevron deference. That's the issue in Buffington. Uh, that case was also held over. So very curious, and we uh, uh, we we decided to to spend an episode of Lunch and Law uh, talking about that. And so I invite all of our listeners, John, to go check out on the NCLA website, nclalegal.org. Go check out the Lunch and Law. I, I don't know that it's been posted yet, but it'll be posted here in the next few days if it hasn't been posted already. And it was in person. We had people there. We did. We had we actually had lunch with this Lunch and Law, which is, exactly. <laughs> which we hadn't had for a while. So that was uh, that was good too. Uh, and uh, and but the two I mentioned, Richard Samp, our our senior litigation counsel colleague here, uh, was the moderator. And the two guests for that program uh, first was Roman Martinez, who's a uh, I think he's a deputy managing partner or former deputy managing partner at Latham and Watkins uh, here in DC. He's definitely part of the appellate practice there uh, and uh, former, uh, former uh, attorney in the solicitor general's office at the department of justice 
and he is the, the he and, and Rich uh, co-wrote the uh, and, and I think I'm on there too, but I didn't do as much as they did. Uh, they, they I think Kara uh, and Kara Rollins uh, on the on the uh, on the Buffington uh, brief, and then the other guest was uh, John Tinkin, who is a, a litigator at uh, at Cooper and Kirk here in Washington D.C. A former a former clerk to Judge the Par on the Sixth Circuit and Judge Oldham on the Fifth Circuit, I believe, uh, and he and and his boss uh, Chuck Cooper. Uh, who is uh, on the board of advisors here at, at NCLA. Uh, Chuck uh, co-authored the Apotian uh, amicus brief, or excuse me, a cert petition, uh, again with, uh, with Rich Samp and, and me in a lesser capacity. Uh, and so we had them on to talk about the, uh, the Cargill, or excuse me, had them to talk about the Chevron uh, issue because their two cert petitions are the ones that were you know, left pending at the end of, of the term. And John, they... No one had a great theory as to what the Supreme Court uh, is is doing, uh, but but uh, Roman suggested that well, it might just be that the court didn't want to strike down two such momentous precedents at the same time, and they knew that they were going to strike down uh, Roe v. Wade and, and Casey, and they didn't want to strike down Chevron at the same time. I, you know, I, I'm not sure anybody in the world would have been talking about striking down Chevron uh, no. if you did it on the same day as no. you struck down Roe v. Wade, but. Uh, but, uh, but that, it's a theory. That's true. Could and, be true. And uh, there may still be, uh, court may not be sure what it wants to do, is the one I want to, because they've been avoiding it for so long. And we talked Seven about years, it. they haven't cited, or they haven't decided a case at the Supreme Court based on Chevron. And, and we've talked about the, um, and, we, and we've talked about the, the West Virginia versus EPA. Where they could um, have. They could have decided, much. and the DC, the DC Circuit did. The DC Circuit ruled on it. They didn't yeah. say. I mean, here they are. They got a. They got a petition for cert from the DC Circuit. The DC Circuit has written an opinion by Srinivasan. It's not like you know he doesn't do bad work. <laughs> so <laughs> not one of the lesser lights of no, the DC Circuit. No. So he said laid out his reasons, and they and they. In fact, they, some say he was the most qualified person to be appointed to the Supreme Court. Not me. <laughs> I didn't say that, Mark. <laughs> anyway. So anyway. Um, I think that I, I, I think that um, so so they don't even mention it. And, and I, I think Rich always brings up the American Hospitals case again. It, they don't even mention it. Yeah. Well, this American is, Hospital Association v. Becerra and Empire Health, I think, be also be Becerra. I'm I, not think, sure I think so, but I forgot. Yeah. But the key thing here is, is that it's like the elephant in the room that no one's mentioning, right? right? These are major Supreme Court cases that everyone's watching. They come down and only uh, Kagan brought up Chevron. She says, you know, there's this thing called Chevron. And, and so I do think that um, I do think that something's up, but maybe it's just they haven't decided to Chevron go or is there some use we want to make of it? Because really, um, I don't think anyone including Kagan and the rest of the folks who, who want a, a broad uh, administrative uh, power like Chevron. I don't think any of them like how the district courts are using it. So some of them might be trying to come up with a new idea of how to get the district courts to really follow it because there is that, that constant refrain that they don't think that's what's happening. Well, there's certainly a disconnect. I mean, the Supreme Court won't decide a case based on, based on Chevron, even when it's gift wrap for them in the case of West Virginia VPA uh, or the case of, I mean, you mentioned American Hospital Association. We filed an amicus brief in that case talking about nothing but Chevron. That's, that was what our whole brief was about is, is how Chevron deference needed to go. And, 
we thought that case was a decent vehicle for it. Uh, but in that case, in Empire Health, the court essentially avoided Chevron by maybe, and this was something that was said in the lunch law, maybe the court is trying to model appropriate behavior. And they're saying, look, you don't even need to talk about Chevron. Here is how you would just resolve these cases with pure statutory construction sort of approach, lower courts. Look what we did in this case, in this case, and in West Virginia VEPA. We don't even need to talk about uh, to talk about Chevron. Could be that that's what's going on. But Chevron is, is invoked so often at, in the lower courts, particularly by the DC circuit, which I think Chevron is the crack of the DC circuit. I mean, they just, uh, they, they, they can't go a week without uh, relying on it. Uh, and so I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, you could be right that the Supreme Court hasn't figured out what they want to do about it yet. Uh, but there's, there's definitely a problem with, uh, it's not going to work indefinitely for the court to just ignore it because the lower courts aren't ignoring it and they're not taking a hint if, if a hint is what the Supreme Court has been, has been trying to deliver. Uh, and if, uh, uh, and it could also just be that, that there are three votes for cert on these cases on, on a potion and, and gun owners of America, Buffington, maybe, uh, and that there, there isn't a fourth vote and maybe they wanted to wait and see if Justice Jackson would provide a fourth vote for any of those cases. That's a possibility that, doesn't necessarily seem like the most likely scenario to me. And then I think we mentioned in our earlier segment, John, it could be that they're waiting on the Cargill case to come up because there was a trial in the Cargill case. There wasn't a trial in, uh, in a post Gun Owners of America. And the court may just prefer not to decide uh, an issue. They may not want to strike down a regulation issued by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms or strike down, set aside whatever the terminology you want to use. Uh, if there hasn't been a trial. But that wouldn't explain Buffington. No, if you doesn't. go to the Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others. They, <laughs> they, they actually all have Chevron, but only a few of them have uh, bump stocks. So I, I think it's more than that. And, and, and I also think that it is, um, you know, that think of how, for us, it seems like a long time, but I, I think uh, the people who are interested in gun rights, we're always waiting for them to take another case after Haller, right? And, and every, all the gun rights people were all like, what are they doing? And Thomas was dissenting and there's all this stuff about, hey, we got to do one of these cases. Um, and then they- Well, they did Heller and then McDonald pretty quick. McDonald, right. Those two were boom, boom. Yeah. Then nothing. Then nothing for about and, a decade. And, and so, um, so I think that, uh, and, and people were complaining about it, but it seemed, you know, the majesty of the law unfolding in the Supreme Court, they didn't seem to be in any hurry at all. And so- it could be a watch pot never boils because we're always watching the Chevron boil. <laughs> right, right. Yes, <laughs> yes, that we are. We are pot watchers when it comes to Chevron. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, no, that's that. That could well. That could well be it. Uh, and and uh, it could also be that they're trying to build a bigger majority for what they want to do. I mean, if if you're going to strike down Chevron, it would be better to do it with a nine-zero decision than with a five-to-four decision. Uh, the, the particular objections that we've made, and, and if you want to hear more about this, you can find any number of prior programs where we've talked about, about this, but the, the objections that we routinely raise to Chevron deference are that it's a violation of due process because the person, if you're deferring to the government, that the person on the other side of the V is, is you're, you're showing bias against them. They're not getting a fair trial from the adjudicator. There's also the problem of judicial independence. Under Article Three. judges are supposed to be independent. And they're not if they're deferring to someone in the executive branch on a on a legal question. And judges take an oath to 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 be independent and not show 
uh, favor toward, toward either side. And yet Chevron systematically compels them uh, to do that. So these are the arguments we've made. Those arguments have never been dealt with at the Supreme Court. No majority opinion has, has dealt with those objections uh, to Chevron. And so one of the things that, that I think that they know, if they, if they take a case from NCLA, they're going to be hearing those arguments. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, one of the other things brought up at the luncheon law was that how many cases will be affected. There's, Chevron's been invoked so many times. Is that going to put a lot of other things in doubt? The court has pretty good ways of saying this, doesn't, this isn't retroactive. This doesn't go back and undo anything. Uh, this is sort of only only good for for the prospective and, and it doesn't chevron is not a constitutional that's right that's right there's no it's not even statutory so it should be fine we'll see what the court will do we'll certainly keep you posted if the court grants certain one and more of these cases you'll you'll hear it here I guarantee that until next week thank you